I wonder if I was to say the word Marmite to you, what would your response be? What's your knee-jerk reaction? Because isn't that just it? For, for some of you watching, it will be, and for others, it will be, it's amazing. And isn't that just life, though? Some things do divide us, whether, whether Marmites, whether football clubs, whether Oxford or Cambridge, or whether you put the cream or the jam first on a scone, or whether you even say scone or scone. And yet, in many ways, the same is true of Jesus. I don't know if you spotted that as the passage was read for us. It's an important account. Because it outlines in just a few short verses the very stark differences between how different people react to Jesus. Maybe you've experienced something of that in your life. Maybe you have friends who are excited about him and want to talk to you about Jesus. Maybe you have friends who are offended by him or scared to even talk about him or investigate him. From my experience, Jesus can certainly be Marmite-like in his ability to divide people. Not just a thing that happens now, it happened when he was alive 2,000 years ago. And indeed, it, it even happened as he died on the cross that we remember this Easter time. Did you spot it as Grace read it for us? It, it seems the response there is either to despise him or to depend on him. So in the account more widely, some people mock him. In fact, as he's there dying on the cross, most of them are mocking him. The, the rulers, the soldiers, they all chuck their insults at him and despise Jesus. But we're just going to zoom in on the two criminals hanging either side of him. Again, one of them is shouting. Verse 30, aren't you the Messiah? That means God's promised king. Well, save yourself and us. Get us down from here. Get us out of here. Come on, if you are who you say you are, then rescue yourself and rescue us. And yet the other criminal, the one hanging on the other side, reacts quite differently. And I think it's this criminal in verses 40 to 43 who, who gives us the model response to Jesus. So whoever we are, wherever we are, whether we would call ourselves believers or not, or we're not quite sure, he is the one that we are supposed to focus in on. See, here was a man who was just minutes away from meeting his maker. And he seems to do three very simple things at this point. Three simple things that help us see clearly what it means to follow Jesus. Not to despise him, but to depend upon him. And those three things are this. Number one, he recognises what he's done. Number two, he recognises who Jesus is. And number three, he asks for mercy. So number one, he recognises what he's done. And it's there in verse 40. He is one who fears God. Don't you fear God, he says. In a way, I think that's a funny question, but, but I think it's vital that we get why he asks it. You see, crucifixion, being killed on a cross in their culture was a horrible death. We have someone nailed to a piece of wood, but, but it was also seen as a God-forsaken death. It brought with it the idea of being a death that God was angry at. It brought with it his displeasure and his judgment, his curse even. But this criminal says, I deserve it. He knows, in verse 41, he knows he was being punished justly for his crimes. He knows God is completely holy and perfect and good and so truly pure. And so he can't just sweep our 
our sin, our impurity under the carpet. He knows that he deserves God's judgment. And so he fears God. Would you say you fear God? There's been a lot to fear in the world these last 12 months or so, fear of all kinds of things. But for the believer, there's a sense in which fear of God is a perfectly right thing because he is holy and just and pure and good and because we are not and because one day we'll stand before him. And so this criminal recognises what he's done. And But because of what can only be and what always is God's kindness, secondly, he recognises who Jesus is. Do you see, out of the corner of his eye, the criminal could see next to him a, a weak and dying and pitiful man, a man who had been broken and beaten and spat upon, naked, nailed to a cross of wood. But he spoke as though Jesus was a king. And so he sees him as much more than just a dying man. And the light bulb seems to switch on. He, he sees him for what he really is. He's God's promised king. A king indeed who has done nothing wrong. A king who is morally perfect, who should not be hanging there, who should not be punished and cursed for no reason. He sees it's a travesty of justice. He sees it's wrong. And so he calls out to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So secondly, he recognises who Jesus is. But then thirdly, he asks for mercy. Many people you speak to think that being a Christian really is about being good. It's about being good enough for, for a grumpy God, keeping him off your back if possible. Maybe it's notching up enough good behaviour points that we can enter into God's kingdom when we die. Maybe that's you even. And so this bit of the story should really stop us in our tracks. This bit is the surprise because the criminal brings nothing with him, does he? He brings nothing to the table. He's got no past to offer, just a life of crime. A life of crime that's ultimately brought him to this place, hanging and blooded and dying outside of Jerusalem. No doubt he's got a closet full of skeletons. No doubt a life of regrets. He's, he's already acknowledged his sin, that he deserves a just God's anger. But of course he's got no future to offer either. He's just minutes away from his death. He, he can't turn over a new leaf and make it all up to God in some way. He balance the scales back again. And that's a surprise for us. Because you see, we want to bring our good behaviour. We want to believe that we can contribute to God forgiving us. Lord, look at the life I've lived. Look at all I've done for you. Look at how much I can bring you. Look at how lucky you are to have me. It's, it's how we're wired. It's, it's how this world works. You want something, you earn it. You want money, you work. You want friends, you prove you're trustworthy. You want status, you show you deserve it. You want the X factor, you prove you've got it. It's the water that we swim in all the time. But when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to the heart of being a Christian, when it comes to the story of Easter, friends, it's a th shocking thing to say, but me and you, we're... We're just like this dying criminal. We, we bring nothing but our sin to the table, nothing else. In front of a holy and just God, we ought to be there on the cross. And so really, this is a prayer of utter dependence. He's got no other option. We can't earn it. 
And so he throws himself upon Jesus. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But you know, it's a prayer that's gladly answered. Look at how Jesus responds to him without batting an eyelid, without any kind of a lecture or rubbing his nose in his failures. See in verse 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It's beautiful. After a life of crime, he throws himself upon the mercy of Jesus. And what does he find? He finds forgiveness, he finds welcome, he finds kindness. Not because of who this criminal is, but simply because of what Jesus is like. And you know, that truth really does sit at the heart of the Christian faith, the Christian message. It reminds us to recognise what we've done and what we deserve and the reality of our own sin and our selfishness, the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of ourselves. It reminds us to recognise who Jesus is. Even though he's there dying on a cross, he is the king of God's kingdom. This, This was the plan. But finally and vitally, it reminds us to throw ourselves upon him for mercy. And you know, today would be a great day to do that. Thanks for listening.